Bibles is 2 Chronicles chapter 23, 2 Chronicles chapter 23. And tonight's message is entitled, The Ingredients for Success. What it takes to be successful in the work of the Lord. We know it's the Lord, first and foremost, but there are things that we can do and need to do if we're going to be successful in, in the work that God's called us to do. So let's begin with verses 1 through 11, and we'll see what those verses say to us. In the seventh year, Jehoiada strengthened himself and made a covenant with the captains of hundreds. Azariah, the son of Jehoram, Ishmael, the son of Johanan, Azariah, the son of Obed, Messiah, the son of Adiah, and Elishaphat, the son of Zikri. And they went throughout Judah and gathered the Levites from the cities of Judah and the chief fathers of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. Then all, they, then all the assembly made a covenant with the king in, those, in the house of God. And he said to them, Behold, the king's son shall reign, as the Lord has said of the sons of David. This is what you shall do. One third of you entering on the Sabbath of the priests and the Levites shall be keeping watch over the doors. One third shall be at the king's house and one third at the gate of the foundation. All the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. But let no one come into the house of the Lord except the priests and those of the Levites who serve. They may go in because they are holy, but all the people shall keep the watch of the Lord. And the Levites shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in his hand. And whoever comes into the house, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. So the Levites and all Judah did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. And each man took his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath. For Jehoiada the priest had not dismissed the divisions. And Jehoiada the priest gave to the captains of hundreds the spears and the large and small shields which had belonged to King David that were in the temple of God. Then he said, all the people, every man with his weapon in his hand from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, along by the altar and by the temple all around the king. And they broke out the king and they brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, gave him the testimony and made him king. Then Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and said, <clears throat> long live the king. Jehoiada was the high priest and Jehoshaphat. And the boy's nurse had the patience to wait for God's timing because faith and patience go together. Jehoshaphat was the brave woman who rescued her nephew Joash from sure death at the hands of Athaliah, who was the wicked queen of Judah. Jeho uh, Je Jehoshaphat was the half-sister of King Ahaziah. And when Ahaziah was killed in battle, his mother Athaliah true, uh, tr uh, tried to kill all her grandsons and took the throne for herself. But Jehoshaphat rescued the youngest of Ahaziah's sons and hid him in the temple for six years until he was old enough to be king. And Jehoshaphat's courageous act preserved the house and the lineage of David which, uh, from which Jesus was descended. In the Lord's gracious providence, he watched over the child as well as the three people who knew who he was where he and where he was, because you see, if King Athaliah would have known what they were doing, she would have killed him, killed all of them again, along with the, the future king. So while waiting those six years, the high priest Jehoiada had thought and prayed about how he was going to remove 
Athaliah from the throne and then put Joash on the throne as the Lord had instructed him. So after seven years of wicked Athaliah's rule, Jehoiada the priest finally gathers up enough courage to take the action he needed to to get rid of the, the idolatrous ruler. Now, you know, he had to muster up this courage. Verse 1 says he strengthened himself. You see, to face up to a king or a queen and to come to them with God's laws, that requires, or that was supposed to be the job of every priest in every generation. But a lot of priests would shy away from this responsibility. They wouldn't come forth in boldness to tell the king or the queen the God's, uh, God's laws because it could cost them their life. So only a few priests really made a difference in the nation. But this priest, Jehoiada, did the right thing. He did what was right by restoring the temple worship and anointing the new king as God had said they were to do. Now, there are times we have to fix something that's wrong. Or we have to speak up for what's right. And when that time comes, you need to gather up your courage and, 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 and do something about it. Now, this wasn't easy, an easy job for Jehoiada to take on. Verse 1 said he had to strengthen himself. His plan, he's planning a revolution in the kingdom. That takes guts. As well as planning because, you see, he could get killed in the process. It can only be supported as well by the most serious considerations and by being reasonably sure you can succeed. And when the time was right, like it was here, it was absolutely necessary. And when it's bravely and effectively carried out, like it was here, a great work of devotion and kindness is done. And it's not only the man who is blessed, but God is blessed too. On the other hand, to do this for the wrong reason and with poor planning and not enough resources, you know, is to send the country headfirst into civil war. And for sure, there will be a lot of bloodshed and misery. Jehoiada succeeded in this mission and his success was due to many things. And we want to look at some of those things tonight. Because those things that caused him success in his mission for God are things that we still need to do today. The ingredients for success in God's work. And they are, number one, a sense of sacred duty, knowing that what God has called us to do is a sacred duty. Now, Jehoiada the priest wasn't looking for recognition. He wasn't looking for man's praise. He was truly concerned about the things of God. They weren't being done. And he wanted to do something about it, but he wanted to do it in such a way that the will of God would be done in the land according to what the Lord said, as mentioned here in verse 3. Now, men often do things, whether it's good or bad, because their motivation by a strong desire is what fuels their fire. Now, ambition is okay. There's nothing wrong with ambition. It's a good thing, and God doesn't forbid it. 1 Timothy 3, 1, Paul said, If a man desires, notice, the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Because, again, it's a good work. But it has to be, that ambition has to be for the right reason. Jeremiah 45, 45 5 says, Do you seek great things for yourself? Then don't seek them. <clears throat> so a person might be given a commission from God. And they might be filled with a sense of how much they owe God. And then they get this deep conviction that God has called them to carry out a certain work. And many times that call 
proves to be a very powerful motivation. That's what drives them. The second thing that we learn here as an ingredient to success in the missions of God, in the missions that God calls us to, courage and authority on the leader's part. Courage and authority. Jehoiada had made up his mind that he had to do something. And he had to do it now. He said in verse 3, Behold, the king's son, notice, shall reign. It's time. God said he was to reign. It's time that he reigns. He started working toward that goal, the goal of restoring the royal house of David, and he did it without fear. He took a strong stand. He took an authoritative stand. He says, we are going to do this, and we're going to do it now. Because he knew it was the right time. It was time for change. And it wasn't the time for people to be divided. He said in verse 4, this is what you shall do. And then in verse 8, it says, all Judah, in other words, all the people did according to all that Judah, uh, Jehoiada, commanded. Now, if there had been any wavering on Jehoiada's part, maybe a lack of decision or determination, you know, he would say, well, you know, I, I know we need to do this, but... Man, I don't know sure, sure if we can. I don't know if we should. You know, I don't know if you know, it's going to work. You know, if he was wavering, the, the people might have thought, you know what? This guy doesn't seem to be quite sure what he's doing. And, and a lot of times we feel like, you know, I, I don't want to follow somebody that doesn't really know what they're doing or think it can be done. And they might not have continued to move forward with Jehoiada. In dangerous times when important things are at risk, we must not challenge it, but instead respect and keep the drive and the determination of our leader going. Help him to carry out his goal. Third uh, important ingredient for a success in, in carrying out God's mission, the greatest possible cooperation. The leader needs cooperation from the people. First, he called together the five officers in charge of the temple guard, the military presented the king to them and had them take an oath to obey his orders not to tell anybody what was going to take place. After he told the military his plan, he sent them throughout the kingdom of Judah to order the Levites living away from, from Jerusalem and the heads of the Jewish families to come to Jerusalem on a specific Sabbath day. And when they got there, they were to gather at the temple as if they were uh, gathering there to worship the Lord. Now, Jehoiada's plan was simple, but it worked. It was effective. The military, the five officers, each commanded a hundred men. Two companies would ordinarily be on duty daily and be, placed, and be replaced on the Sabbath day. But on this particular Sabbath, they would stay on duty and guard the king. A third company would guard the palace where Athaliah lived, and this would give her you know, a, a false sense of security that, hey, hey, everything is fine, everything is status quo. A fourth company was assigned to the gate of the foundation, which may have led to the nearby palace, uh, from the nearby palace to the temple area. The fifth company gathered at the gate behind the guardhouse. It was a normal place for the temple guards to gather. Anybody watching at the temple would have no reason to expect that anything out of the ordinary was going to happen. They would see the guards, march in, take their usual places. They might notice the crowd of worshipers in the temple uh, was more than usual. The high priest, you know, passed out the weapons that David had confiscated in his many battles, you know, to the men. And the guards protected David's own heir, the next heir to the throne, with those weapons. 
They all made a covenant, which was a sacred promise to restore the throne to Joash and to submit, submit to him as David's rightful heir. So Jehoiah needed support from both civil and religious leaders to overthrow Athaliah. We should ask everybody to help who we can willingly and faithfully depend on. And I love it when, Jeho- when Joshua took over for Moses. And remember when Joshua ordered the officers to, to go through the camp? He said, I want you to go through the camp and tell the people, prepare some food and other necessities that you might need for yourselves because in three days we're going to go across the Jordan River. And we're going to go to possess the land that the Lord our God has given us to possess. They told Joshua, Joshua, everything you've told us to do, we're going to do it. And wherever you send us, we're going to go. Just like we listen to Moses and everything, we're going to listen to you. Only the Lord your God be with you, Joshua, as he was with Moses. The people didn't explain. And the river was, at, was, at, was, at, was overflowing. It was at, at high, high tide, if you will. It was, you know, it was floodwaters. Uh, the people, you know, they, you know they, they were probably thinking, how are we going to get across? You know, who, who, who's, whose idea is this? You know, God didn't explain to Joshua how they were going to get across the Jordan. He didn't tell them it was going to be easy. But they got themselves ready to go forward in faith. They trusted their leader. Even though they may have seen difficulties, they didn't complain. They didn't challenge Joshua. They didn't give him a hard time. But, you know, unfortunately, there are people in churches. It's everywhere. You know, they, 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 they get into their little groups, whether you know, at church or outside or where in their homes, and they, and they begin to complain or badmouth their leaders, whoever that may be, whether it's the pastor, assistant pastor, the worship leader, whoever it might be. And you know, what grieves me personally is that over the years, I have taught against that kind of sin, and it still goes on. People tell me what they hear and who it is. Now, it's okay if you don't like the way your leader runs things. It's okay. Because there's many different leadership styles. But what's not okay is to sit around and talk bad about them. If you don't like your leader and you find that you just, you just can't submit to God because that's really who you can't submit to. If you find you can't serve with him or her, whoever it might be, with joy and glorify the Lord, which is really saying, you know, I won't submit to the Lord. And I say this with all of the gentleness, find a church where you find those perfect leaders. Because if you're looking for perfection in your leaders, you won't find it. I don't care where you go to church. But if you're looking for imperfection, oh, you'll find it all day long. You'll find it all day long. Listen, you're familiar with Judas Iscariot? I'm sure you are. Judas had the best pastor, the best teacher, the wisest and best friend in Jesus Christ, and he still failed. You see, the problem isn't the leadership most of the time or the church you go to. If your attitude doesn't change or your character isn't transformed, you will always be the same. Paul said in Hebrews 13, 17 in the New Living Translation, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they know they're accountable to God. Give them reason to do this and joyfully and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. 
You see, we should be an encouragement to, to our leaders. Now, we see some examples of difficult leaders in the Old Testament. How about David serving Saul? Saul was a nutcase. One minute he's praising David, oh, you're, you're more righteous than I. And the next thing you know, he's throwing spears at them. You know, he's sending guards out to watch over his house and to capture him while he sleeps. You know, he, he's, he's constantly chasing after David and he's wanting to kill David. And you know what? David was, was Saul's enemy, but, uh, but David never considered Saul his enemy. He never considered David as a, he said, he is God's appointed leader. He let God deal with him. And they said, Man, you want better leaders? Pray for them. That's your responsibility. So again, these two guys, David and Saul, give us examples to learn from if you just study them. If you find yourself in the place where you're serving with a difficult leader, look, try to learn all you can about yourself and about God. Because there may be some very important lessons that God needs to teach you. When God puts you, one of his people, to serve alongside a difficult leader, it's important that you're sure of your calling. Because when, when you say, God's called me to this ministry, he's called you to everything in that ministry. Except to, again, disobey the word of God or do something that's sinful. Now, did God make a mistake in your call? I don't think so. You probably made the mistake in the call. See, this helps that servant to walk alongside a demanding leader with patience and dependability. Always keeping in mind that you're serving God first and foremost. And this can help you lessen any frustration. Have faith that God may have chosen you, chosen you to influence that leader's life. Paul said in Ephesians 6, 5 through 7, Servants, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As servants of Christ, do the will of God with all of your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for the people. Difficult circumstances and difficult people perfect our characters. That's why God places them in our life. You know, when God is refining us and, and working us over and trying to and, and removing those rough spots in our life, most of the time he uses people. He uses people to do that. He uses difficult people to perfect our character and to show us what's in our hearts. Troubling times are growing times. Why do we expect perfection from leaders? They're just people. Many of the leaders in the Bible had faults. A leader is just another dirty lump of clay. Just another lump of clay that God has brought us alongside that needs his shaping and his refining. Difficulties or weaknesses in others aren't there for us to criticize, but for prayer. God may have called you to be just that, a prayer warrior for that leader you're serving with. Can you make a commitment to pray for your leader until God makes him strong and successful? Now, some say, well, that's not my job. My job, your job as a, in ministry is to do whatever God tells you to do. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, 1, 3. 
He said, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Notice, pray pray this way for kings who are leaders and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Notice the word of God says, you are to pray for your leaders, for those who are in authority. You are the servant of the Almighty God, and He has chosen you to be the iron that sharpens iron. He's chosen you to be the friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's chosen you to be that yoke fellow with Christ. A lot of people are frustrated with their leaders, but the moment you take your eyes off of the Lord and His plan for your life, you're taking matters into your own hands. But watch God develop your character through difficult circumstances. One of the hardest things to do when working with difficult leaders is to love them. But isn't that what we're called to do as servants of Christ? Being a watchful companion who won't run or complain when things get tough, but will stand firm and and see it through. That may not be who you are today, but that's the person that God wants you to be and maybe the person that you'll grow into in the years to come. The fourth thing that we see that helps to be successful in in carrying out God's missions, a careful respect for what's right. Jehoiada wanted to make the most effective plans in involving those who were to take this action at the right time, but he wouldn't stand for anybody not following instructions under any circumstances. Listen to what he said in verse 6. He said, Remember, only the priests and Levites on duty may enter the temple of the Lord, for they are set apart as holy. The rest of the people must obey the Lord's instructions and stay outside. You see, it's, it's our duty to follow any instructions that will help to accomplish God's purposes. Unless you're asked, like I said, to obey, dis- disobey God's word. We are not called to disobey God's word. No matter how bad we want success, and no matter how faithful we may have been pursuing that success, it has to be rejected if it can't be done without sacrificing what's right without compromising the word of God. And too many times people's success comes at too high a price. And the price is always too high when it means compromising God's principles. Even if we compromise in the smallest way, we won't compromise God's principles just to be successful. Then we see also wisdom in making plans. We need wisdom in planning and carrying out the most clever plans. Then we need boldness to carry out those plans when it's time to move. That's what it tells us in verse 11. Caution, maybe even secrecy, right up to the very hour. Then take action and even boldness. That will win the prize. Now the testimony that was given to the, to the king, the testimony was a copy of the law of Moses, part of which outlined the king's covenant privileges and his duties, and they anointed him. The anointing was a sign and a seal of the God's appointment by God. Or by, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the anointing was a sign and a seal of the king's appointment by God, and it was a symbol of the Spirit of God upon him. Now let's look at verses 12 through 15. Now when Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. When she looked, there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance, and the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. 
All the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets, all the singers with musical instruments and those who led in praise. So Athaliah tore her clothes and said, Treason, treason. And Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains of hundreds who were set over the army and said to them, Take her outside under guard and slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest had said, Do not kill her in the house of the Lord. So they seized her, and she went by way of the entrance of the horse gate into the king's house, and they killed her there. In verses 12 through 15, we have now the fall of this wicked woman, this, this, this queen Athaliah. The success of this revolution that took a long time to prepare for and was so excellently carried out by Jehoiada the priest, it involved the ruin of this wicked woman. And it, it, it kind of says sometimes it takes time you know, to... to, to get rid of some wickedness and you know because this one this this wickedness sometimes is really ingrained in a person or it's it's, is planted in our life and it takes a lot to get rid of it so again this revolution revolution took a lot of time to prepare for but it this fall of athalia was bound to happen because you know she was bound to that, that she would perish she had to go and her, her fall teaches us, first of all, that sin never wins. Paul said the wages of sin is death. It seems like this takeover caught her by surprise, complete surprise. She wasn't expecting it. And this seems to be obvious when you read verse 12, that when she heard the noise, she, checked, she took off looking to say, what's going on? Verse 12 says, when Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and the shouts of the praise to the king, she hurried to the Lord's temple to see what was happening. She was shocked. She went to see what was going on. What, what's happening here? And she was trying to save her throne, but all of a sudden, without warning, her whole world comes crashing down. This is a good example of sin. That's the way sin is. You know, it's business as usual. It's a day like any other day. She's been doing her evil thing, never thinking about being overthrown. Everything is fine in her, in her eyes. Because she thought she was powerful and she thought that she was going to have it all forever. And then in an instant, judgment came. This happens every single day. Because sin gives you the idea that everything is going to be okay. That you're going to go on forever. And it deliberately, sin deliberately obeys righteousness, both man's righteousness and God's. And then suddenly, their world comes crashing down on them. It seems like it's success, but it's temporary success that on its way to failure and humiliation. The foolish person doesn't understand this. They can't see this. They think it, it proves that hey, God is far away, that he doesn't care, he doesn't see, it doesn't matter to him. So they take it as a sign that you can't take God's word seriously. But that's foolish. That person doesn't understand the way things God works, things, the way things work in God's kingdom, in his government. Psalm 92, 7 says, When the wicked spring up like grass and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. We might be shocked and upset, you know, at how we look around and, we, and the wicked seem to be getting away with all kinds of sin. And how murderers and, and the selfish ones are promoted. You know, and we wonder, where's God's justice in all of this? And we cry out, Lord, you know, where's the penalty for sin? Where's your judgment upon them? And like the psalmist, we cry out, Lord, how long will the wicked triumph? 
But God says in Psalm 75 too, when I choose the proper time, I will judge uprightly. And this is a word of encouragement for all believers as well as a word of warning to the godless. God says, when I choose the proper time, I'm going to bring judgment. We look around, we see the wicked prospering, doing their evil deeds. And we often ask, God, how long? But God assured his people that he's already chosen the appointed time for judgment and that his his people need to wait confidently and in peace because God had everything under control. Our Lord has his times and his seasons for everything that he does. Ecclesiastes 3.1 tells us to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. God's never late for his appointments. We look around and, and, and does it look to us like the foundations of society are eroding and being destroyed? Yeah. Morality is deteriorating? Yeah. But you know what? The Lord knows what he's doing. Jesus Christ is on the throne and he holds everything together. Psalm 93, 2 says, Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. He's enthroned in heaven. He's robed in majesty and glory and all power. And he needs to humble the puny rulers of this world. His eternal throne is majestic. It's strong and firmly established. And the world he created is also firmly fixed. It doesn't matter what happens to human rulers on earth. The throne in heaven is safe and secure and nobody's going to overthrow him. We just need to hang on and wait and see. And it won't be long before their end comes. The wicked person will perish. Their world will come tumbling down. Suddenly or slowly it will happen. Their fate will fall upon them. Now, this doesn't uh, happen to just those who rise to fame and fortune and power, but anybody, it happens to anyone who hardens their heart against God. And they're in danger of being suddenly destroyed and without hope, like Athaliah was here. And secondly, we learn from, from these verses, 12 through 15, enthusiasm under control. There, has, there must have been a lot of excitement when this took place. In other words, when they surrounded the little boy the young boy who was next to be king, and they anointed him with oil. And they put the crown on his head and they shouted in verse 11, long live the king. There was a lot of excitement going on, a lot of enthusiasm. The emotions were running high. But Jehoiada wisely kept everything under control. When Athaliah showed up and they saw her, probably they looked at her with, with, with emotions of hatred, remembering that what she had done and, and what a disgrace and a curse she had been to the land. They, they, they could have killed her on the spot just because of their, 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 their running wild emotions. But Jehoiah didn't let that happen. He wouldn't defile the holy place with her blood. And he kept his head. He led her out of the holy palace. And not until then did they give her her due justice. And the point is, feelings should never overrule sound judgment especially strong feelings against any person. Always keeping in mind, it's never a good time to make decisions when your feelings are all out of whack. David understood this. He said in Psalm 6, O oh Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. Now David knew he messed up and David accepted God's punishment. He said, Lord, please don't do it while you're angry. And you know what? I think as parents, many times we can understand that position. Sometimes our kids can make us so mad and 
You know, and, and on the extreme end, some parents abuse their kids because they get so angry and they, they discipline them in a rage. And they go overboard. And this is what, God, what David is saying to God. In his, in his thinking anyway. God would never do that. But in, God, in, in David's thinking is, Lord, you know, uh, calm, I'd like you to calm down and, you know, and, and get it together. David's kind of thinking here. But don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your, in your rage. David realized that if God treated him with justice alone and without mercy, <laughs> he'd be wiped out by God's wrath. And if we let our feelings decide what we should do, you can be sure you're going to do something that you're going to regret and maybe not be able to undo. Now, it might be harder for some uh, more than others to remain calm, cool, and collected, but it's every person, every man's, everyone's responsibility to rule over their own spirit, to have self-control and to keep their desires and their impulses and their resentments and disappointments and their mouth under control. Proverbs 25, 28, Solomon said, whoever has no rule over his own spirit, this is talking about whoever has no self-control, they're like a city broken down without walls. And a city that had no walls were vulnerable to desert thieves to come in and do whatever they wanted with them. That's why walls were so important in biblical times. This is only possible, self-control like this is only possible through a daily discipline, a determined effort, and constant prayer. Then as we close verses 16 through 21, we have the end of the revolution. Look at verse 16. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself, the people, and the king, and they should be the Lord's people. Commitment. Jehoiada knew that it wouldn't do much good to get rid of, the, of one ruler and put another one on the throne unless the nation itself could be united in a strong relationship to Jehovah God. So he took the following action. He used this revolution for his chance to enter into a formal covenant between himself and the people that they should be the Lord's people. Then verse 17. And all the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They broke in pieces its altars and images and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. There was action. After the commitment, they took action. Then all the people went to the temple of Baal and they tore it down. Verse 18. And also Jehoiada appointed the oversight of the house of the Lord to the hand of the priests, the Levites, whom David had assigned in the house of the Lord to offer the burnt offerings of the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and with singing as, as it was established by David. Then there was restoration. Jehoiada restored the temple procedures and its worship services according to David's original plans recorded again in 1 Chronicles uh, 24, verse 25. Verses 19 through 21. And he set the gatekeepers at the gates of the house of the Lord so that no one who was in any way unclean should enter. Then he took the captains of hundreds, the nobles, the governors of the people, and all the people of the land, and brought the king down from the house of the Lord. And they went through the upper gate to the king's house and set the king on the throne of the kingdom. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and notice, and the city was quiet. They had peace, for they had slain Athaliah with the sword. Results. Here's the results of what happened in verses 16 through 20. There was the commitment, there was the action, there was restoration. The results, peace. But first, there must be purity before you can experience peace. Any obstacle like Athaliah was to the people of Judah had to be completely removed without mercy. Because evil of any kind has to be done away with. 
It has to be constantly rooted out like weeds in a garden or those weeds will choke out the flowers, the plants. And you know, it has to happen before there will be peace. There must be evil done away with before we can experience peace. That's why you can never experience the peace of God until you make peace with God. In closing, we may find an athalia in our own life in different forms. For example, how about an insincere profession of faith that we no longer believe in and as a result, an unfaithful life of unbelief. We might find an athalia in our life in the form of an immoral or harmful habit that you might secretly love, but you know is sin. You also might have an athalia in your life in the form of an unlawful, uh, unlawful gain, which our heart and mind condense because you know it's wrong. And last, we might have an athalia in our life in the form of a relationship or friends that can't be kept while Jesus, while you're trying to honor Jesus and obey him. Father, we thank you for this really informative chapter, Lord. And, and, and Father, the, the ideas and, and the, um, the ways and the means, Father, for successfully carrying out, Father, your work. Lord, help us to know we, that, that, Father, you are... First and foremost, the one who who brings the victory, Lord. But there are things that we have to do, Father, to make sure that it happens, Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your word and its instruction to us, Lord. And Father, as you told Joshua that if he was going to succeed and prosper in all that he did, God, that your word was not to depart from his mouth day or night, God. And Father, it's the same for us, Lord. Father, we need to know your word. It needs to be hidden in our hearts, God, so that we don't sin against you, Father. And so that it instructs us, Lord. It instructs us, and the Holy Spirit brings it up to our remembrance, Lord. Father, because apart from your word, Lord, we're, we're like sheep without a shepherd, Lord. We're lost. We're like men stumbling around in darkness, Lord, with no light. But, Lord, you are the light of men. You are the light of life. You are the light of the world, God. And apart from you, we can do nothing. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. But through God's word, it is spoken to you. As the worship team leads us in a song of worship, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, then as we worship, you get up out of your seat You make your way toward the steps up front. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a prayer of faith. Mm